Are you an EMDR therapist and parent who wants to make more money, have more time with your family, and get better results with your clients? Welcome to the Future Template Parent Podcast. I'm your host, Carolyn Solo, LCSW, EMDR consultant, business coach, and mom of three kids under seven. I realized that the grind of weekly sessions was taking a massive toll on my ability to be the kind of parent and therapist I wanted to be. So I dove headfirst into learning about intensives. I read all the books and articles and did all the trainings. Now I've transformed my schedule, my income, and my clinical outcomes by offering intensive EMDR in my practice. I want to teach you how to do this too, so you can build a practice you love and spend more quality time with your family. Let's create the future template for your life as a parent and as a therapist. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of the Future Template Parent Podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining me. I'm your host, Carolyn Solo, LCSW, EMDR consultant, and mom of three daughters. In the last episode, I talked about one of my most used interweaves, the conference table technique. I went into detail about when, how, and why to use this technique to work with parts, and how it can be a great interweave to use when a client is experiencing stuck processing. And I said last week that I was going to talk more today about using this technique with dissociative clients in particular. And if you've been listening to my podcast at all, you have probably picked up on the fact that uh, I am really passionate about working with dissociation. And so this is something that I could talk about forever, but I try to keep myself a little bit focused. But um, I think that working with dissociative clients with this particular technique looks different and I think requires training and um, consultation and supervision to really be sure that you're doing this effectively and safely and productively. So I am not suggesting that this podcast is a substitute for any of those things, but I thought that I could give you a little bit of insight into how I think about these issues. And certainly I can be a resource to you if you want to know more. So um, last week, we talked a lot about the conference table. And this week, I'm going to start using the term the dissociative table. Because when this technique was first developed, it was initially called the dissociative table. And in episode 16, the last episode, I couldn't remember the first name of the person who created, I put that in quotes, because who knows, (laughs) the dissociative table. So I went back and looked it up. The guy's name is George Frazier. I just know it as Frazier's table, Frazier's dissociative table. That's how people refer to the technique. But I was like, Frazier who? It's George Frazier. And I think it's not the same as the boxer. Was there a boxer named George Frazier? Anyway, (laughs) George Frazier, the psychologist, I assume. So he initially published an article on the dissociative table in 1991. And in 2008, he published an updated version of the article. And I'm going to quote now an excerpt from the abstract, which I think is useful. And I'm going to break it down a little bit as needed. So quote, to quote from this abstract, the dissociative table technique offers a technique to allow clients to recognize internal ego states. And first of all, what is an ego state? You guys probably have heard that term before, but if you haven't really gotten a good definition of it, it's another term for part of self, like a ver- you know, our ego moves between different versions of itself of ourselves at different times during the day, different triggers. It's not necessarily an equivalent to an alter. Okay. Clients who have alters are managing significant dissociative disorders. To quote the DSM-5, a defining feature of DID is, quote, the presence of at least two distinct and separate personalities within an individual. 
That's an alter. Although multiple personalities exist within a single person, only one is manifested at a time, each with its own memories, behaviors, and life preferences. So this is different from ego states, which we all possess. Um, Alters are those really distinct and sometimes not co-conscious personalities. So all of us have ego states, right? So as I was saying, the dissociative table offers a technique to allow clients to recognize internal ego states and to structure and control switching and internal communication. So again, I'm still, I went back to quoting from the abstract. Let's talk about what might be different here for a person with significant dissociation, right? Because this, what Fraser's talking about is why is this technique useful for people who are dissociative? So he's talking about not only does this technique allow them to recognize these internal ego states, which may even be alters, so to recognize them, to even know who and what they are, and then also to structure and control switching and internal communication. So a lot of us who are not dissociative might not really be fully aware of our own ego states until we do an exercise like the conference table. But it's unlikely that a lot of these ego states are going to be totally surprising to us. Like, who is that? I have no idea where this comes from. You know, a lot of us have some awareness that we feel like, you know, there's a sort of an inner child part. There's a teenager, you know, there's some, we might have some awareness of that, especially as now in, you know, the TikTok generation, everyone's talking about it. But someone who has distinct alters might have no idea about any of the presence of these other personalities. Like that's how distinct and separate they are. So if you're doing this technique with someone who does not have awareness of all of their alters, for one, they can gain awareness through doing this. So they can recognize them. And then uh, Fraser also mentions control, which I have a bit of an issue with that word, control switching and internal communication. So it is... I think important for people who are really dissociative, who feel like they do not have any capacity for staying grounded when they feel a switch coming on. There is a sense of wanting to regain some control. But I think that all alters have to be honored as well. And so again, I'm getting kind of off on a different tack, but an alter doesn't want to feel controlled. That's not going to be productive. So the idea is, I really think about the internal communication piece is key. Every single alter needs to feel respected and they need to feel that their voice is being heard. And if the table can be really effective for um, building that internal communication, not only do we want the you know adult self, the presenting self that we see in our office most of the time, the part of the person that sort of does life, for them to have communication with these um, states, we also want the alters to have communication with each other and for the adult self to recognize which alters are able to communicate with each other. It sounds very complex because it is, but that's what I think of as most important when I'm thinking of internal communication. Uh, So continuing to quote from the abstract, the dissociative table is an adjunctive strategy to the psychotherapy, (laughs) the psychotherapy, I feel like that's so academic, to the psychotherapy. Uh, It's an adjunctive strategy to the psychotherapy and has proven successful in establishing internal cooperation and integration of the various ego states. So we're going to talk about why I don't like the word integration in a little bit, but not right now. (laughs) And then he goes on, drawing on principles from hypnosis, gestalt therapy, and clinical experience. So pausing there for a second, I just want to define, we're talking about clinical hypnosis, okay? And clinical hypnosis is a clinical therapeutic technique. And I was looking this up on the VA website, and the VA website um, 
The VA is very, very up to date on sort of trauma informed interventions as much as any government agency <laughs> could be. And so they're talking about clinical hypnosis on their website as a legitimate mode of treatment. And here's how they define it. Clinical hypnosis is the process of A, deliberately triggering a trance state, and then B, utilizing that state to encourage helpful cognitive, emotional, or physical healing responses. A trance is a natural biological state of inner absorption, concentration, and focused attention. That is exactly what happens. You induce a trance state with a very, very dissociative person when you use the dissociative table. And then you use techniques to reground them and get them out of that state so they can leave your office, which is why you need to leave a good amount of time at the end of the session to do that, which is why extended or intensive sessions with dissociative clients are really helpful. But I want to say that this is from the VA website because this is a legitimate thing. It's not like, ooh, you know, this hypnotist came to my high school reunion. You know, we're talking about this is a clinical technique that is very effective and needs to be done by a trained professional. Okay, so they also refer to gestalt therapy. That's your empty chair technique, if you haven't heard of it. The empty chair technique, you know, the client is sitting across from an empty chair and participating in a dialogue as if another person or another part of themselves is sitting in that chair. So we're talking about a conference table with chairs, right? You can kind of imagine how gestalt therapy, that gestalt technique informs this. So you kind of think of it as this combination between hypnosis and this empty chair technique. So the excerpt from the abstract that I'm quoting ends with this. The strategies of the dissociative table technique allow the therapist to teach the dissociated person to facilitate interaction, which is different than integration. I I don't have a problem with interaction of ego states, but then he goes on to say, and to integrate and eventually join or fuse the dissociated ego states into a consistent sense of self brought about by the cooperation and co-awareness of all ego states who learn to function as a unit. Okay, so big old red flags all over this last part. Okay, like I said, this article came out in 08. Its first version was in 91. Now, 2023, trauma-informed and well-trained therapists who work with dissociation do not talk about integration or fusion of self-states. They don't talk about a consistent sense of self. That is not the goal, okay? It is never a goal to get rid of a part or an alter. This may be divisive if I say this, but I don't care because I believe it. If you hear about a therapist or a researcher or someone talking about integration and fusion of parts of self, that is not someone you want to be working with as a client or as someone that you consult with, okay? Just please know. (laughs) Um, It is harmful to the dissociative community to keep promoting this idea of integration as a goal. It is incredibly damaging to a system. It's not possible to get rid of a part or an alter. And it's incredibly damaging to even suggest that it's possible or that that's a goal that should be achieved because it's not possible. And that in and of itself makes it create a lot of, you know, people can feel a lot of shame if they can't do that. And all parts and alters need to be respected because they all came into being out of necessity and all of them have important roles. Ideally, we would like to help the traumatized alters be less burdened and reduce their activation right? Maybe lay down some of the burdens that they have been carrying for so long. A lot of traumatized alters think it's their job to keep everyone safe, all the other parts of self safe. And so they will put themselves through horrible things to keep the other parts of self safe. So if you tell them, oh, you're going away, you don't matter. That is an incredibly important job that they have taken on themselves. Do they deserve to hold it alone? No, of course not. But telling them they're going to go away, that's not okay. So using the table the way that I do it does not force 
integration and fusion are getting rid of anyone. When used well, you're fostering communication, cooperation, and co-consciousness. And that's a very slow process. So just had to say that. (laughs) So in spite of those red flags, there's useful content in that. I hope that that felt like it gave you a sense of some of what's going on and why this technique can have value for dissociative clients. Okay, a little bit of background. Now, how do you implement this with a dissociative client? So in the last episode, I talked a lot about just implementing the conference table with a non-dissociative client. So usually with a dissociative client, you'll have to do a fair amount of psychoeducation about parts work before you even begin to talk about the conference table, okay? People with significant dissociation can, not always, but can often, I have seen, feel extremely uncomfortable even acknowledging, maybe even to themselves and also to others, that different parts of them exist. Often because these parts are so disparate, they feel so separate, the client can be so ashamed of some of them or fearful, or even because some of these parts have wreaked havoc in their lives. These clients are often already convinced that they are, and I use air quotes here because this is not a word I use, but I'm using client language, that they are crazy, right? I don't use that word myself, but, you know, but I'm crazy. Everyone's going to think I'm crazy. And talking about parts makes them feel even, quote, crazier. You know, you might have your 25-year-old who's been watching a lot of content on the internet knows all about parts, and they feel comfortable talking about that. That's fine. And that's great. And I think that people who really, really, really suffer from these very, very disparate parts of self from this extreme structural dissociation, it's not cool. It's not fun. Okay, so it can be really, really shameful to talk about. So go slowly with these clients, slower than you think is necessary. Um, With these clients, I do a lot of sharing about how parts look in lots of different people, how all people have parts, what parts can look like in dissociative people, before I even ask them to start talking about their own parts. Um, It's just part of the stabilization is all the psychoed. And also grounding, we're going to be doing a lot of grounding, because before you go into the technique, you want to be able to get your client back out of the trance state. So you really need to do a lot of prep work. Like in the last episode, I kind of said that like with a client who is not super dissociative, you can kind of on the fly introduce the technique and sort of go into it. And that's great. Please do not do that with a client with this level of complex trauma. You could re-traumatize them if they're not ready to think about parts in this way. So. When we've done some of this psychoed and stabilization work, and it seems to me that a client might feel ready to communicate more with some of these parts, and they have bought in to some degree that communication with these parts could be useful, only then will we try the table. And usually we'll start with something that the client is curious about, that they bring to me. For example, maybe they told me that they noticed an empty pizza box in their apartment and they don't remember ordering pizza. This stuff happens, okay? I have clients that bring, I'm not making this up, this is real. I'll suggest possibly a part of them knows about the pizza. Would they like to try to connect with that part and find out more? That's sort of our entry point. You always kind of want to have an entry point to focus the um, conference table meeting. And if they say, okay, let's try that. I would sort of say the same thing that I would say to another client. But remember, other clients won't need maybe the months of prep work that I've just described. So I say, okay, let's take a few breaths, close your eyes and go inside. Oh, another thing I'll say is that I will explain to them what the conference table is before we do it. With the dissociate, with any client, of course, it's so important to get buy-in, to make sure that they agree with the treatment, to make sure that they are open to the intervention. But with a dissociative client, I just want to always a client. And when I mean when I say dissociative client, I also mean here a client with a trauma history. But anyone who has a severe trauma history, severe attachment ruptures, you need to give them every opportunity to say no if they're not comfortable with someone. That's something that you possibly can. 
consent, 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 enthusiastic consent, you know, please, slower is faster, okay? If they say yes, and you feel like I'm not totally sure if they really mean yes, you need to slow it down, okay? You need to be that attuned to their, are they really feeling safe? Are they telling me they feel safe because they want me, you know, really, really slower is faster. Always ask. There's no harm in asking, right? So anyway, explain to them what you're doing before you do it. (laughs) So you say, let's take a few breaths, close your eyes and go inside. Just like I said in the last episode, imagine a big conference room table, whatever that means to you, just some sort of workspace with a big table and chairs. Let this be a space that feels neutral or positive. And like I said last time, I add this in case they come up with a conference table that felt traumatizing to them, maybe from a previous work experience. So it needs to feel safe or neutral. And then I'll say, can you tell me what you see? You describe it to me. And that's partly so I can help make it a little more concrete for them. But also I can assess that it feels neutral or non-threatening. And again, with a client with complex trauma, so important that you're always assessing for safety in any possible way that you can. And then I say, now. I'd like you to invite into the space all the aspects or parts of you that know about what happened with the pizza. I welcome them all and let them take as much time as they need. And then we wait. And it might sound hard to believe if you've not yet done this work with a dissociative client, but if you've done the groundwork of safety and rapport building and psychoeducation and choice and autonomy, collaboration, (laughs) trauma-informed care, parts often come forward. And sometimes a part will then front, you know, move, be the part that's presenting in the front, driving the car and start talking to you directly, the therapist. And this is incredible and moving work. Like all of a sudden you could be talking to a six-year-old when the person in your office is 32. Dissociative clients tend to be highly hypnotizable. And all I mean by that is that they have a highly developed skill. Yes, skill of, of being hypnotized because going into a trance state, dissociating, Right. Because they use it to survive intolerable things. It is a skill and it's highly developed for them to have one part of self or many parts of self separate from the present time. Only one part of self existing in the present time to protect the other parts, right? And because this skill of hypnosis is one that they can readily access, there's a high likelihood that under the right conditions, meaning a skilled therapist, enough preparation, high levels of trust, they have the ability to switch in your office when you set the conditions for it. And you can work with these structurally dissociated parts in a very productive and safe way. So as I said in the last episode, the main things you always want to know about any part, you know, anytime you're doing parts or ego states work, whether in this context or another, these are the things you want to know. What does this part look like? How old is the part? This could be a part or an altar or an ego state. You know, there's some overlap there, but I think we've talked about how why altar is specifically distinct. What does it look like? How old is it? Does it have a name? What's it doing when it enters? How do you, adult self, feel about the part? Now, a dissociative client might be completely, that younger part might be forward. So they might, it might not be, you might not be able to talk to the adult about that part. That part may be who the client is right then. But if this were any client, you would want to know how the adult feels about the part. How does the part feel towards the other parts? What's the part's job? What job would it like to have? What does the part want us to know? When you are working with a non-dissociative client, you are likely asking the adult self these questions about the part that they are seeing in their mind's eye, right? That's come to sit at the table. But with a dissociative client who's switched to another part of self or to an altar, you'll be getting this information or you could be getting it directly from the part. 
Not always, of course. There are likely parts or alters that will be easier to connect with, ones that are more willing to come forward, and ones that are harder to connect with. Some alters or parts will communicate through another alter or part. But there's a good chance that you, the therapist, will be communicating with someone other than the primary presenting adult self. Sometimes we also refer to the the presenting adult self, kind of the one that you think is your client or the client thinks is their age. We often refer to that as an ANP, an apparently normal part, which is a term that is fraught, as you can imagine, but ANP. And ANPs are your manager parts, if you're talking about IFS, so just in terms of terminology. As you're wrapping up your conversation with any part or alter, please, please thank the part or alter for coming in and sharing, okay? They have done something incredibly vulnerable by letting you have access to this. So please, thank you so much for sharing all this with me. I so appreciate you being here. You know, please, like you would say to any client, (laughs) but say this client has become incredibly vulnerable with you. Please honor that. Also, ask that part what you, therapist, can share with the adult self that they said. If anything, they might not want you to. Ask the part what they're going to share with the adult self themselves. Like one way they can do this, they could communicate internally. Or something that I have a lot of clients do is have them write to one another between sessions and communicate that way. That's another way to improve communication between parts. You're actually like building those neural pathways that are really, really separate right now. But like, that's a great way to build communication and co-consciousness is sort of having them write to each other. Okay, so just a few tips. I'm just going to give you a very brief example. And I'm going to try really hard to keep this vague. So a client with a lengthy and tragic history of uh, ritual, sexual violence and exploitation as a child. So this client has many young parts who've experienced horrific things. And all those young parts have different roles that they've had to play. One of these parts is the most traumatized and holds the memories of many of the traumas. And they also feel responsible, like they are bad, that they're evil. Um, They believe it's their job to experience these things so other parts don't have to. They still believe it's trauma time. They're not aware that it's the present. They also have a slightly older part who's playful and fun, doesn't know why the younger one has to be so sad and scared all the time, knows what happened to the younger one, but kind of feels like, but it's more fun to play. So they have a playful part. And it's understandable that those are very, very separate. It would be hard for those things to coexist. Um, That uh, playful part knows it's not the past, but isn't totally aware that the different parts share a body. That's another kind of piece of the puzzle. Um, There's also an older teen part who like gets things done, pays bills, writes papers. This um, client has been in school in many capacities, goes to work. I've communicated with all these parts, all these different parts and more with this client through this technique and the growth while it's been incredibly painful and difficult, has also been phenomenal. I think I'm not going to say anymore because I want to protect this client. But please know this work can change lives. It's so powerful. And if you want to know more about how to do it, please reach out to me. Like I absolutely love talking about this. And I so, so deeply want more people to do this work because a lot of clinicians are afraid of it. But it is so important. We have so many clients who need people who are skilled in this area. So (laughs) I think I'm going to stop there. Um, We were talking about the conference table with dissociative clients, also known as the dissociative table. I could go on and on about this topic, but just wanted to give you a little taste. And please, what I would love is if you have more questions that are specifically about this or anything really, but I'd love to make more episodes on this topic. So if there's something you want me to elaborate on, reach out to me, Instagram or my website, please let me know because I would absolutely love to talk more about this. So just last little thing, I there's a bunch of ways you can work with me. 
I've got my coaching package that helps you get up and running with offering intensives in your practice in just a day. Um, You can also use those five hours toward certification, uh, consultation hours. If you're also just looking for consultation in general for certification, I do that as well. And then one-off certification, excuse me, consultation, especially if you're interested in working with dissociation. Uh, My website, www.futuretemplateparent.com has more details on how to work with me. I hope this was useful and I will speak to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Future Template Parent Podcast. I hope you've learned something that can help you move from feeling overwhelmed to energized about your practice and your personal life. You don't have to choose one over the other. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and please share it with another EMDR therapist who would benefit from hearing this episode. Each review helps us get the message out about how offering EMDR intensives can liberate your practice. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app so you don't miss a single episode. See you next week.